Welcome to our next installment of the Rebels of the Heart virtual conference series. It's been an ongoing segment where we've featured great leaders across all different areas of business, different companies, really showing the next generation of leadership and what leadership with a heart looks like in terms of rebels breaking the rules, creating new rules, and, and establishing what a healthy business and personal relationship can look like. I'm Derek Bunston, CEO of Life Guides, uh, and we're building a platform for preparing people to do extraordinary good by using technology to match people who have been through a life challenge of some sort with those who are going through the same or a very similar experience now provide peer-to-peer mentorship support and guidance to help people be happier, healthier, and more productive in both their work life and home life and where those come together. So welcome to our next installment of Rebels of the Heart. I'm thrilled with the guest we have here today is a friend of mine, Matt Arsenal with Jamf, and excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Eric. We're glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time because I think you have a very unique point of view on how the talent market is evolving. And uh, we'll jump into that in just a few minutes, but I'll start off with what I consider to be an easy question, but I think it's a fun one to kick it off. How, how do you define a rebel with a heart and how is a rebel with a heart kind of showing up for you and your work environment? What does that mean to you? Uh, I, I think that it gets back to, I, I started my career at Ernst & Young and, and one of the first lessons they taught everybody who came in is uh, make sure, you know, what you're doing, if it shows up on the front page of, of the wall street journal, your mom will be proud of it. Right. And, and so I think that there's an element of integrity to that, um, being true to yourself, authenticity, where, you know, you got to understand what your true North is and, 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 uh, be enough of, a have enough courage to, um, stand against things where, where it might not be, um, popular or, or it might not be, um, how people think of leaders in, in front of them. Uh, but as long as you stick true to it and, and, and have that courage, you can really be, be that rebel where again, with a hard element for me is, is yeah. to also think about that empathy of, of something else. So for me, it's the integrity and courage to stand up for others and, and make sure that you're bringing them along and, and yeah. guiding them along as much as you are. I love it. It's a great answer. So how is that showing up in your role? It's obviously you work in the role of corporate development, which for our listeners is the space of mergers and acquisitions and you know partnerships and development. How does that kind of present itself in your day-to-day right now, Matt? How does it show for you? It's the organization I'm in right now does a lot about its people and and the culture of our company is really important. And and it's taken me uh, now 15 years of, of professional life to, to find a company like this that, that isn't just saying, you know, we put our people first. It, it truly is a company where the people are first. Uh, and so in, in my world, I have to find partners and, and uh, potential acquisitions that fit that mold, right? Where people can fit into that idea of um, being themselves. Um, so one of our our main um, uh, we we have two values at the company and and I think that our value statement is really really interesting. Um, our two main values are selflessness and relentless self improvement. Mm. And so we we really do instill that even in our acquisition strategies. Right, we look for companies where people are willing to give things up for their own self. Um, and where people are willing to take feedback and 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 understand that improvement side. And so finding that in the market and being able to build that into our process is really important for us. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, you're in a unique position that you get to look at lots of different 
cultures, lots of different companies. I mean, I think we, we, we both would agree um, when you think about mergers and acquisitions, the blending the cultural fit of a company is probably one of the biggest success factors for how that follow-on does in terms of the, 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 the value creation that exists when you come together. What are you seeing over the last couple of years that's changing or a significant shift? What are you seeing are kind of new best practices in M&A as a result of transactions in a, in a pandemic environment? Are you seeing them? Is it? Yeah. Still, yeah. I, I do think that, uh, in, and I talk a lot with my peers around the board, uh, around the globe, different industries, different things. Uh, one of the things that people are realizing more than ever is that it isn't just money that keeps people around, right? Like, I can give you a retention package. I can give you a retention bonus or equity in my company. Um, that that sort of idea that people stick because of their boss um, is is real, especially in the startup community, right? Where they follow that inspirational leader. Where those inspirational leaders may not fit into the corporate culture, you have to find other ways to retain them. But it cannot just be money. It has to be that alignment in culture, somebody else that they can sort of see the the potential to become. Um, ESG, uh, uh, not ESG, um, the, the diversity groups that we have, um, right, also show a lot about about who you are, right? So um, we have shades at camp, family yeah. at camp, right? Like, and, and so being able to see yourself in a larger company, um, it is is harder for a lot of those startups, but I think the thing that that the the corporate development departments are starting to realize is that you know money is a driver, but it it yeah. often is not the primary driver of of an employee's happiness. Yeah. So to that point, on a tactical level, what kind of steps are you all taking in your role or your peers in corp dev? What are you seeing as kind of emerging now to really create a stronger cultural environment for? You know, successful integrations to happen. Yeah, I, I would say the way that I think about this, and and okay. maybe we'll talk about some of my peers in a, in a little bit, is th- this is likely the first time that somebody has not chosen an employer, right? Mm. And and so they haven't thought about the recruiting, they haven't gone through the cultural aspects of a company, right? So one of the things that we've worked really hard on is is presenting, even maybe as part of our due diligence. So before we close our compensation philosophy, our, our kind of overall benefits that we would offer, our, our um, focus on those diversity groups and, and uh, some of our diversity metrics that we're driving towards, um, our, our global presence, where are we and what does that mean for who we are, right? I, I think that ability to incorporate recruiting the individuals as part of your due diligence process is really important. Absolutely. Because you're you're you wanna whether you admit it or not, the day after the you close the transaction, that person is is deciding whether to stay or not. Mm-hmm. And you want them to decide to stay again, not because of simply the the monetary, right? The the Silicon Valley joke of rest invest, right? Um, you don't want them just sitting and resting investing. You really want them to contribute. And to do that, they have to select you. And and one of the things that I keep saying is a lot of companies are good at making the employees feel great on day one, but how do they do that every day after, right? The day one party where everyone shows up, the CEO's there, you know, you take them out for a nice dinner or you bring in food and champagne to the office. 
Um, it's always easy to make somebody feel special in that moment. Um, three days later, three months later, three years later, are you still making somebody feel like they're part of the team and part of the solution is really an important part of how you design that integration activity and how you make sure that the culture is always growing together, right? Um, which is another big piece of this, right? You, 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 no matter how big you are, um, you don't want to, to do a transaction where you're just imposing your culture on somebody. Yep. You really should understand what the culture they're bringing, what are the good parts of that culture, and how can you how can you build the new culture together going forward? Yeah. And and so obviously that's a little bit easier if it's a, a standalone entity in a new country, right? Because they're going to have their own culture where we would lay in our our key values, right? And say, hey, look, as part of being champ, this is some of the things we are very important to us. So we'll have a a global overlay, but a, a local um, identity. Yeah. I like it. And and to your point about peers, is this is this your perspective and philosophy around MA, or do you think this is shared widely across your industry, or is it evolving? Is a better way. I, I, I think that it is very different based on the industry that you're in. I think this is a very similar uh viewpoint uh for people who are in the high tech industry. Yep. Um, I, I think where the employees are major inputs to the process, consulting, professional services, software, um, this type of idea is is there. I think in the more legacy industries, I've I've done time in industrials or or yeah. wholesale retail. Um, I don't think that they're catching up to this ideal as much. Yeah. Um, because the, in a lot of ways, many of the workers are inputs, not uh, culture carrying, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's the thing that the pandemic has done more than anything is made, yeah. made that shift of the uh, more hourly worker or the um, lower end employees a little bit more closely aligned to the high end consultants or the high end engineers, right? Where, look, I'm a, I'm a person. Right. I'm, I'm, I, I have a choice as to how to make my money per hour. Right. Yeah. I can do your job or I can do someone else's. And I, I think that the, the pandemic has really freed a lot of people up to have that uh, self confidence. And so I think that the teams that are feeling the most shift in how they treat people during an acquisition yeah. are those in your more historical uh, industries. Curious though, too, how do you see? You know, back to this point around the pandemic, how how is that kind of how will that trend play out over the next decade? Right, I think the world of talent has changed in a in a way that's not necessarily going to ever go back to what it was, right? And so, I think that while we we are seeing certain industries lead in this way, high tech and related specifically, I think the expectations potentially are shifting for all businesses. And what does that look like from your point of view? I, I think that the key there is how remote can the work actually be, mm-hmm. right? So uh, if it is a, I think that you're going to see a divergence in the economy between kind of two different sets of talent, one set of talent being, you know, technology enabled jobs um, versus capital enabled jobs, mm-hmm. right? And I think that the, we are in the midst of that sort of struggle a little bit um, of, you know, uh, the folks who have the college degrees, who who have the jobs that are more done on on a computer, they can live anywhere, right? Um, I, I I've told you before, 
Uh, I, I changed jobs in December of 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, at that point, I got a job based out of Minneapolis. I live in Boston. Wow. Um, yes, I have to go to the office, but uh, basically there is no difference. And, and my company has taken a position where offices are a service. They're not an obligation, right? So as long as I stay at Jamf, I can live anywhere I want as long as I get my job done, right? But I can do that because most of the the things that I try to produce are are just like this, right? Yeah. I can run a Zoom meeting. I can have those conversations. Every once in a while, I have to fly to a meeting, but yeah. uh, my meetings weren't necessarily in the office anyway. The jobs that are tied to capital, like uh, manufacturing jobs or even retail jobs where it's it's physical retail or warehouse jobs, right? Or restaurant and services jobs. That economy is still really built around having to be somewhere to serve your customer. Yeah. I do think that you will start to see, even though right now those jobs are benefiting from this idea of uh, freedom of choice or, or freedom of employment, I do actually think over the next 10 years, that's going to regress back towards pre-pandemic where if you don't have the training, you don't have the skill sets, you are going to be more trapped into where those jobs are available versus um, the the economy that's digitally enabled where you'll have more of a national talent pool. We, we agree. I, I see that similarly playing out, which is, which is interesting. I'm curious, not, not everyone necessarily has an appreciation for what goes into doing transactions or understands what goes into doing you know, mergers and acquisition transactions in the process. How has your day-to-day changed potentially, if it has, when you when you think about doing transactions and doing this work pre-pandemic um, to during the pandemic and how you see it emerging now? Probably. Yeah. So I think the interesting thing is we relied very heavily on travel uh, prior to the pandemic, right? I, I do think that there is a benefit of actually looking someone in the eye, uh, having a conversation face-to-face to really get to read you know, is the answer not the answer, right? Um, the the answer is slightly different or slightly colored. You lose a lot of that via Zoom, um, yeah. or 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 whatever package. Or, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I think the the virtual element is there. So, what we have done is we've optimized the teams a little bit more, right? I don't necessarily have to fly in my technical expert from London for for a meeting. We can jump on on the virtual meeting. But what what I think has changed the most is this idea that that you don't necessarily need the human element of the deal. No. Um, I might be a staunchy old. I, I think they refer to me as a geriatric millennial at this point. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of benefit to to that face to face handshake. Take someone to dinner. Um, don't don't just get the prepared remarks. Get the the true person so you can understand how they would fit. A little bit better, and so I am hoping that that kind of lack of of interaction that we've had over the last two two and a half years does start to fade a little bit, and and we do go back to a little bit more traveling. Um, and the reason that that traveling is important is because you're meeting someone for the first time, right? And and you're trying to understand how they think about their employees. How do they think about um, what they're going to do when they make the money from this transaction, right? Um, you know, every, everybody says that they're bought in and they love it until they see a check for a couple million dollars in their account. Do, are they driven? What, what, what drives them individually? Yeah. That's not something you can get through virtual meetings. That really is something that you get 
at dinner or at the bar or at the coffee break where you can understand is somebody really driven by the solution to the problem? Are they driven by the people around them? Um, or, or are they driven by, by monetary um, outcomes? And, and understanding that helps you plan a little bit better for how, how to motivate someone once they're part of the company. Yeah. So to that point, have you seen any difference either anecdotally or quantitatively between the, what I'll call, you know, short to medium term performance of transactions that happened pre versus during the pandemic, right? Have you noticed any interesting patterns that have emerged? I I haven't noticed any patterns yet. I think it is a little too early still for the deals that closed in late 2020, 2021. Yeah. I know personally... Um, there were more mistakes made uh, immediately on on those deals than than I would have expected, um, because there there were uh, limitations to the information that we have. Um, I, I what do, do you consider as a mistake just to clarify, just for um, uh, a lack of understanding of local knowledge when you buy a you know a French speaking company in Switzerland. Um, uh, lack of understanding of how difficult it is to manage a team remotely in the Middle East. Um, all those human-oriented components that we were just a lot of yeah, yeah because again I think that a lot of the value of a deal is is driven by the people and and what they're able to do. Yeah. Um, and and so I think one of the bigger mistakes that was made uh, kind of during the pandemic was. I, I do think that when you're on virtual meetings, the distance and the time difference doesn't necessarily because you have a very short period of diligence. And so someone working late at night doesn't matter as long as they're selling their company. Uh, New Zealand is actually very far away, right? So understanding how to manage a team where, and again, especially during the pandemic where New Zealand was fully locked down. So even if we wanted to go to meet the management team, it would have taken us two weeks to get in and two weeks to get out. Right. So you're, you're going to New Zealand for six weeks and, and then you have your own personal family and things that you got to trade off for that. And I think that that, those were the types of mistakes were actually um, a a miscalculation on how much the remote aspects or, or the enablement of remote activity um, would, would break down that, that true physical distance or time distance. Yeah. and and making that trade-off decision that says, oh, you know, now I can do that first deal in New Zealand and yeah. not not the company in Colorado, even because of this, right? And I think that that's the thing that has led to the most mistakes over the last is is really that misunderstanding of, you know, in the virtual world, everybody's you know on their same four-inch screen, um, yeah. but New Zealand and and Abu Dhabi and Israel and Switzerland and the Netherlands are actually very different places um, yeah. and making sure that you can understand that uh, is, is important. And so I think that's one thing that has gotten more difficult is, is yeah. that realization that the digital world isn't the, the only world. So counter to that, have you seen anything that's been like a kind of a, like a shocker, like, un, you know, a, a broken barrier that was not expected, you know, that, I mean, obviously the fact that you could do deals in this fashion, it was one early on, but is there, have there been any other like ahas, like, wow, you know, would not have expected to learn that, but now we know this and it's becoming a best practice in, in transaction. I, I, I do think that some of those ahas go back to the things that you were doing and, and did they matter, right? Like, when you were having a dinner with every target every time, you, yeah. you didn't really understand the value of it. 
I think I understand it more now that I had to go two years without actually getting those conversations with yeah. people. Um, I, I do think that the interesting thing for me um, personally is I do think that this idea of, of sourcing in corp dev globally has, has really taken off. Um, now there are still limitations, but the idea that you, you, you're limiting your, your talent search, um, um, to just a certain area, right. It is kind of breaking down. And, and so when a company is more comfortable with hiring VPs or, or C-suite remotely, um, it becomes easier to talk about the possibility of a transaction in a distant land, or um, I guess geography becomes less of a score than it should be. That's the double-edged sword to what I just said though, right? So it's it's that that idea that you can find a better group or a better cultural fit or a better technology because you've opened your aperture a little bit, but then understanding that that's a lot more work or a lot more thought processes is yeah. really needed so that you can deal with that open aperture. And I think that that's the biggest learning that that the corp dev teams are going through right now is, yes, there's more targets. Yes, there's more opportunity. But how does that react back to your corporation where you need to start to think about, um, again, merging those cultures, uh, incentivizing those people, making them feel connected back to the core of the company? Yeah. Um, or they do become just an operating element on an island and and you never get the best out of those types of teams. Got it. So on a personal level, Matt, why are you passionate about this work? What what draws you into this work? What's the what's the long-term vision for how this how this experience or these experiences play into your career? And you know, both yeah. kind of a two-parter, but yeah. I I really enjoy the the element of change management and and the the problem solve on on almost every aspect of the business, right? So whether it's technology or people or operations or um, sales, uh, customers, corporate development's a unique opportunity to see how all those stakeholders interact. Yeah, And and so I am able to kind of uh, go back to to my, my kind of days of learning and trying to figure something out and put the puzzle pieces back together, right? Um, and so for me, it's it's really a passion of of finding ways to make uh, the company grow and innovate faster, and at the same time make sure people are able to to benefit with that growth, right? Um, so I I love the kind of job of of helping somebody who might have been, you know, a, a team leader at a small startup um, grow and and become a a, a, lead, a leader of a much bigger kind of division of a corporation and and sure. see and help them through that journey. Um, because for me, it, it, that opportunity has kind of been there for me. And I, and I really enjoy sharing that type of opportunity. So that's why I like Corp Dev. It's um, always about more, right? Usually. Um, and in more, you, you really do give a, a broader sense of growth for, for everyone around you. That's great. And how do you see this experience playing into your long-term your progression. I mean, you're getting a cross training in all these different areas and all these different industries and points of view. I mean, like, where, how's this? How's this informing where you go with this? I mean, it's. Uh, I, I would say uh, early in my career, I thought a lot about that progression. Right at this point, um, I've learned that that finding the right culture uh, is actually almost more important than finding the right position. 
Um, and so for me, it's really just about learning, uh, the, the process of being a leader. Um, and I've had a, a lot of great CEOs and C-suite people around me that I interact with because of them in that corp dev role. Uh, and, and for this period of time, it's, it is amazing to look at them and understand, you know, the intentional nature of their communications, the, the intentional way that they make themselves available, um, how they think about things is, is really important. And, and so for me, it's really that next level of schooling on, on thinking about how do you not drive individual teams, but drive the culture. And, and that's, that's the piece that I'm, I'm learning now. And hopefully that will take me into the next role, which will allow me to help shape and drive a broader culture. Awesome. I like it. Well, it sounds like you're doing the, the important work of developing business acumen and skills and also have a vision for how we can infuse people first principles into and leader and actions into the development of companies for the future. So I'm glad that you're spearheading this work. How can people get in touch with you, learn more about you and your work, Matt? Yeah. So as I do these podcasts, I say, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I do try to make time for almost everybody who has a a question and wants to connect. Um, I I really do think that uh, there is benefit in in paying it forward. Um, There are a lot of people who helped me along the way and and have really guided me. And uh, part of of the obligation of taking that advice is giving it when you have it. Um, So anybody who's out there who wants to connect, please send me a note on LinkedIn and and I'll try and uh, find time to, to follow up. Awesome. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. I certainly enjoyed the conversation. I find this world fascinating. Matt, thanks for joining us and sharing your wisdom and fabulous today. Thank you, Derek.